0: Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Today, we have a doozy for you. Episode 167 on the docket, and Myatt Snyder is the guest with us today. We're winding down the year, as is he, in the Xfinity series. except for you guys to hear from him, mostly about his off-track stuff, in addition to, obviously, his on-track happenings, with Jordan Anderson Racing went through a lot of different things and covered a lot of ground with Myatt, so stay tuned for that plus we will also talk some homestead miami speedway and martinsville speedway this upcoming weekend two races to go in the 2022 cup and xfinity series seasons i would say it's flown by but to be honest i feel the opposite <laughs> i think a lot of people are probably feeling that way too just been a grind long long year but excited to see how it all plays out all right before we get to our chat with Maya and chat a little bit about homestead and martinsville we got to pay homage and throw it back in this week's way back segment to the number 67 papa seagull and maybe mama seagull have more
1: this week thank you Dove, and welcome everyone to episode 167 the 60s are starting to prove as challenging as the 50s fear not we'll see it through the top candidate for number 67 would have been Buddy Arrington, who had 481 out of the 640 starts in the number. But we recently discussed Mr. Mopar a couple weeks ago. No wins for the number, and no one else really jumps out. The Cars movie franchise provides three choices. Bobby Road Roadtesta, Jim Reverick, and Shifty Sidewinder. Tempting but none of them were part of the original movie and weren't involved in the big one caused by Chick Hicks. Kachiga. So, we try a little harder, as Gordon Ramsay would say. On first glance, the Xfinity series wouldn't seem to provide much help either. Only 59 starts and one win. But the man at the top of the starts list, with eight of them, and an important name in NASCAR you may not have heard of, is Elton Sawyer. Sawyer ran a couple years in the Cup Series, but spent the majority of his 20-year racing career in the Xfinity Series, where he made 392 starts in all and won two races. He's also known for having married racer Patty Moise, a woman of NASCAR who deserves her own segment. They were known as NASCAR's first racing couple and raced against each other almost 60 times in the Xfinity series. Sawyer joked that one of the reasons he married her was they never had a run-in on the track. They're still getting it done more than 30 years later. The other reason you may have heard Sawyer's name in the news lately is that he's currently a vice president of NASCAR for officiating and technical inspection and was heavily involved in the design and development of the current next gen car that has gotten a lot of attention for its questionable safety features, including the rash of concussions drivers have experienced. That's all for this week. Back to you, Doof.
0: Yes, thank you, Dad, and thank you, Mom, for the kachiga I know all about my man, Elton Sawyer. Yes, dad. I know he's the VP of officiating and technical inspection. I know that he has had his hand in the development of the next gen car. And let's not harp on the negative here. Positives with this car, it has brought forth a lot more parody. Intermediate tracks, the racing there is much, much better. So let's not be a negative Nancy father. All right, come on now. But I screen the calls for the morning drive on Sirius Mass NASCAR radio and every Tuesday at 9 30 most of the time if it's not Elton Sawyer it's another NASCAR representative but we get Elton Sawyer on with us a lot of the time so I'm the one answering the phone saying hello is this Elton even though I know it's Elton he said yes it is Davey how are you chit chat for a little bit put him on hold we do our little ditty and our interview but I know all about Elton Sawyer and I know he obviously still as dad said is going strong with Patty Moise so good to see uh a Hollywood type story of a husband and wife in the racing world make it on track, off track, in real life. Thank you for that homage to a good one in the NASCAR garage, Elton Sawyer. All right, let's start off this episode as we always do. And that is with a good old-fashioned <laughs> and throw it straight over to our interview with Driver the 31, Jordan Anderson Racing Chevrolet in the Xfinity series. It is the homie, Myatt Snyder. We chat about a lot. His time with Jordan Anderson Racing, racing around his friends and with his friends and roommates at the Roval. His time racing in Europe. His time racing in the Truck Series for two premier organizations down there. And we also get into a lot of off-track stuff. If you guys know Myatt, he is an avid aviator. He loves flying. And this off-season, at least so he says, he is going to put his mind to the test and finally, finally get those flying certificates to be able to do so on a more regular basis, quote unquote, professionally. I said that you should uh, hit up Chase Elliott and seek some guidance and tips in terms of what to do when you're in the sky. But we chatted about a lot more. He's a very interesting guy, one of the good ones in the garage. And I know you guys have probably heard from him before, but this one, I hope, will be a bit of a different chat that you hear from Myatt Snyder. Without further ado, let me get out of the way and let you hear my chat with Myatt Snyder. Pleasure to welcome on to the show today, a homie, Clout 9's finest, driver of the 31, Jordan Anderson Racing Chevrolet in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. It is Myatt Snyder, my friend. How we doing this afternoon? The season is almost over. Are you ready for a break for a little bit? I feel like I am.
2: I mean, I feel like most people in the racing world, they're like ready for a break at the end of the season. And it gets about, you know, a week and a half or two weeks later and everybody's like, all right, let's go racing again. So yeah. uh, that's that's usually how it goes. But uh, yeah, always fun to be on the show with uh, Mr. Davey. So uh, happy to be here.
0: Your check is in the mail. Thank you for that. Uh, speaking of the offseason, I know you're working hard on stuff for next year. We'll get there later. But. Do you have any plans for the off season? Are you going on any fun vacations? Are you doing any specific extracurricular racing? Are you gonna kind of just take everything as it comes?
2: Well, anybody who's been a longtime follower of me has uh, noticed that I've had student pilot written in my bio mm-hmm. for about like three or four years now, and uh, I really haven't been able to like put the time forth to. Um, really focus on actually finishing it. Like I'm, I'm like this close, right? Like I've got a few flights left to make. I got to take a test and then I've got to do like a check ride and then I'm good to go. And then I have my license. And so that's been something I've been wanting to do. So it's definitely one of the, my like top goals for the off season.
0: Okay. Do you remember like three, four years ago when we were doing an interview and you locked me outside your trailer on like the one way window at Vegas?
2: Um, I believe so. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. The reason I bring that up is because that was the last time I asked you about your flying escapades and your dream to be a pilot. And you basically said the same thing. You were like, Yeah, I'm pretty close. I just need a couple more flights and you know, we should be good. But that was a few years ago. So are you gonna actually do it this off season? Put your mind to it. I am
2: actually planning on doing it this right. off season Um I have since then I have gotten closer. I, I really only need like maybe one one or two flights. Like, whereas before okay. it was maybe six, seven, eight flights. Um,
0: but, uh, yeah,
2: I'm agonizingly close.
0: How, how long are these flights that you need to get to the specific level? So I've got my
2: solo cross country that I have to do, which is a flight all by myself. Damn. Um, and you have to do, I think 150 nautical miles to get it done. So and you have to go to three different airports. One of them has to be controlled. So that's a, that's a big one. Uh, I got to pass the FAA written and I've got to do a little bit more just, um, uh, a little bit more foggle time, which is basically this uh, thing they put over your eyes that keeps you from seeing out the airplane and you have to fly on your instruments only just to, just to make sure you can prove you can get yourself out of a sticky situation.
0: That sounds safe. Very much so. Yes. We, uh, we like to, we like
2: to push the limits of danger in
0: flying. Yes. You're a race car driver. You're a pilot. You like that. All right. Well, you said cross country flight. I thought that meant you had to go across the country, but 150 nautical miles. Are those different than driving miles? Is that a stupid question? Uh,
2: I believe, uh, those would would be what we call imperial miles, whereas nautical miles are basically what they base knots off of and all that stuff. So, um, but yeah, it it is a little bit different, but,
0: uh, not, not too different. Do you usually fly by yourself or do you usually have somebody with you?
2: Uh, most of my flying has been done with an instructor. I have done a number of solo flights, um, just kind of around the pattern and a few flights, uh, doing some practice maneuvers but uh nothing nothing too crazy like a solo cross
0: country okay so we're not talking obviously like commercial airliners here we're not talking about like a 737 or something like that i mean are these kind of like puddle jumpers personal airplanes what kind of size are we working with here
2: it's a little cessna 172 so okay. i did i did use to fly a piper cherokee but uh cessna 172 have been the go-to for the last couple of years
0: okay have you talked to um nascar's most popular driver william clyde elliott about his pilot escapades because out of all the drivers i mean i know he has his own plane and he's doing big things of himself but he flies to and from dawsonville to charlotte and wherever all the time i feel like you guys could relate with that i might
2: have to honestly get some get some pointers and advice from him and maybe squeak some racing advice out too because you never know yeah. how that could help with stuff
0: <laughs> yeah maybe a little bit all right we'll get back to flying i promise because I'm, I'm interested with that i know you are too but Let's chat a little bit about the here and the now and 2022 that is Jordan Anderson racing. I know that this year obviously hasn't gone the way you wanted to, unfortunately missed the playoffs and didn't get a chance to compete for a championship. If you could, how would you grade the 2022 season as a whole? I know it's not over, but what grade would you give yourself, the race team, everything coming together to make this year what it was?
2: Um, I'd say I give us a a B minus. There's been, a number of things that we've, I would call like teething issues that we've had to figure out. Um, but overall, I feel like, you know, we've had some bright spots. Um, You know, I feel like we've gotten our mile and a half program really, really good. Uh, we've had really good road course cars. Um, and overall it's just been, um, it's been a season of improvement, I would say. So I think the first really big run for us came at Coda earlier this year where we finished sixth and I was racing with Sam Mayer for fifth at the line. And so, uh, funny enough, he went on to Richmond next week to win the dash for cash and he only was in it because he passed me. So I told him that he owes me a, a portion of that, uh, check because uh, I let him have the spot anyway. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I feel like we've improved a lot. We've gotten our, we've gotten to be really, really competitive on a mile and a half. Um, it's just, I think the thing that's kind of been our defining factor the last couple of races really last like six or seven races has been just. Having not a whole lot of luck. Um, A lot of things out of our control and a lot of random weird stuff happening. But uh, we've had the speed to be there. Like I feel like we were a top 10 car at Kansas, top 10 car at Las Vegas, uh, top 15 car at uh, Texas, too. Um, So I feel like we've had the speed to be there. It's just a matter of having
0: that luck. So what do you want from Sam? I feel like he's young enough where you can coerce him into actually getting what you want from him. You know...
2: (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, I'll have to get back to you on that.
0: Okay. You can ask for a ride in the one car. I feel like that'd be an uptick, you know? Uh,
2: well, yeah, you know. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I'd say like maybe 5 or 10% is a, is a fair amount.
0: Okay. All right. I would say that's accurate as well. Um, So, Jordan Anderson Racing, in terms of who you guys are competing against in the Xfinity Series, take Junior Motorsports, JGR, Colleague, any team, right? you guys as an organization are basically infants compared to who you're competing against. Have you felt that way this season as it's gone on and the fact that you guys just don't know what you don't know as a race team uh, in terms of the resources that you have at your disposal? Because you've raced for big teams before in the past in trucks and Xfinity, so this had to have been a different experience for you, I would assume.
2: Yeah, um, I think it's been more so a battle of learning the little tiny stuff. So like, you know, we take, take both Vegas races. For example, we went to the first Vegas race and we were kind of scratching our heads. Like we could barely run 25th. And I was just like, man, what is wrong with this thing? Like it, it does not seem that it should be this slow. And so um, we, turns out that we had a few issues that stemmed over from using the same car from California and, um, but uh you know going to the second vegas race we were a legitimate top 10 car like there was a stretch of 20 laps where i was just straight up racing with daniel hamrick for about eighth or ninth on the track and so i feel like we definitely have picked up a lot of speed on the mile and a half and that's been a, a really big strong suit of us so of, of ours so i think that's uh something that we can take pride in because we've made such a huge stride from you know one vegas race to the next and i feel like hopefully we can show off some of that speed at Homestead this weekend.
0: I always like to, to figure out how much people like you and your race team do with less, you know, in recent weeks, I've had Bailey Curry, Kyle Weatherman on, and they obviously are running an underfunded equipment in the Xfinity series doing more with less, letting their talent really show behind the wheel. If you would, as a race team, right? Where do you guys stack up in terms of the amount of employees you have the equipment that you have the resources you have sim time testing all those different things compared to the behemoth organizations that we know run up front content for wins every week because i feel like that could put it in perspective for some fans
2: yeah i think um i think the number last time i checked was about 15 total people working at uh, jordan anderson racing um outside of you know jordan and his dad but um sure. it's uh it's kind of crazy, you know, to think that we're competing with, you know, an organization like Collegue at Vegas, which probably has, you know, 70 or 80 employees um, and has a, you know, two car cup team. So it's crazy to think that, you know, we've come that far in, in just one season. So it's it's really been a proud point that I've tried to emphasize to all the guys saying, you know, you guys have done really great work. We've gone a, come a really long way. And so it's just been it's really cool to see that.
0: Is it more of like a familial atmosphere at that race team compared to the, the ones that you've been at with hundreds of employees and you might not know everybody's name and they may not have a personal relationship with you? Do you feel that different this time?
2: Yeah, I think for sure. Um, you know, those organizations may try to have a, you know, family type atmosphere, you know, where we're all together, but you know, it's at the end of the day, you know, everybody goes to a different wing of the building or whatever to do their job and so there's not all that much connection you know whereas you know jordan anderson racing we're all you know you're 10 seconds from seeing everybody in the entire shop so it's uh it definitely is a close tight-knit atmosphere and we go out and we have dinner all the time we have we eat lunch out all the time with each other and it's it's just really it's a really tight-knit group and i've enjoyed that atmosphere
0: so let's talk about your boss i know he's obviously not at the shop every day right now he's got some bigger fish to fry he's recovering from that scary, scary incident at Talladega, which we'll get to in a minute. But in terms of his management style, him as a boss, what is he like? I feel like it could either be one of two ways. And I'm curious the way that he leans.
2: Uh, He's, um, he is definitely the type of boss who wants to have his hand in a lot of stuff. And that's not to say he's like, you know, looking over everybody's shoulder and like micromanaging people. He more just like, he has such a high he holds himself to such a high standard that he wants, you know, everything to be done right and everything to be clean and so he he really holds things to a really high standard. And it's it's really refreshing to see that, you know, somebody who is involved regularly with the business and is always trying to make things better. And so sometimes I joke with him saying that he does way too much for his own good, but it um but it definitely I think helps the race team more than it hurts it. So it's uh it's really good to see, you know, that type of leadership style and it's it's taught me a lot about leadership personally.
0: Yeah. Well, that crash that he had at Talladega in the truck race was ridiculously harrowing for a lot of people for so many reasons. Obviously, he's your boss. He's a competitor, but I assume at this point he's also probably a friend and maybe even a mentor to you in a lot of phases as well. Um, Where were you when when you watched the crash or saw it happen, and, and what was the immediate aftermath like for you as the race car driver for his race team?
2: Um, I was actually on my way to one of the truck's sponsor suites to go and help entertain some of the guests. Um, I think, you know, that's one of the unique skills I can bring is the Xfinity drivers that I can go and talk to, you know, Jordan's sponsors and explain to them, all right, he's doing this because of that, or this is happening because that this guy's pushing way too hard or this guy's doing this and that. And so I was on my way to that suite to go and talk to them. And I, I saw his truck starting to catch on fire on the TV and I kind of just froze and I was watching like, you know, what's going to happen. Is he going to get to a stop and get out? And then I saw you know all the, all the replays and stuff and one thing that actually you know, I haven't seen talked about much is that at the track when you' were watching the TV, all they showed was the turn two view of the of the camera that looked down the backstretch instead of the backstretch camera. So all I saw was kind of the, the tail end view of the truck. and so I just see Jordan climbing out of the truck. And the truck hits the wall, and he's he kind of disappears into the smoke. And I'm like, yeah. oh my god! Like my heart sunk. Like I didn't know what to think. And so, um, I kind of like ran back to the pit box to see what everybody else was doing. And um, my uh, crew chief actually kind of helped to organize everybody and um, get the truck team together to help everybody out. And then uh, I was kind of there, present in the hospital, um, trying to help comfort um, Jordan's dad and, and uh, Kendall. Um, and so that was, a uh, that was a, uh, unique experience and, uh, one that I definitely won't forget and it taught me a lot of stuff about not only myself, but you know, about the people that I'm working with. And so it's, uh, it, it was definitely, a, a scary experience, but it, um, I think there was self- someone definitely looking out for Jordan that day.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Um, have you gotten the chance to speak with him on a regular, semi-regular basis since he's been recovering and how's he doing? He's
2: doing a lot better. Um, I actually saw him, I think, Monday or Tuesday after uh, the race. And so he um, he made actually a very remarkable recovery. And he's kind of back in the shops at a limited capacity. He's still recovering from a few things, but um, he's definitely back way better than I thought he would be considering That's all great. that happened. So it's it's been really good to see him back, and he's uh, he's definitely – He's a little bit slower, but he's uh, he's way better than he was, and he's made an amazing recovery.
0: And I know he obviously, yeah, he owns the race team, but he is a racer first and foremost, and at heart, that's what he is. So I'm sure he's probably already trying to figure out, all right, when's the earliest I can get back in the car to test, and what do I need to do to get in sooner rather than later? That's just kind of how he is, and that must be another cool part of having him as a boss because you're a racer, he's a racer, you guys can bond over that type of stuff.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and that's, you know, that's had... You know, even more, uh, there's even more examples of that and just than even just that. You know, he's like when I talk about things that I'm struggling with driving with the race car, he understands that and he can kind of explain it sometimes to the crew chief. And so he's been a really big help with that. And it's just, it's helpful to have everybody on the same page.
0: So before this year, obviously the team was in existence last year, had kind of a rotating door of drivers. There was some Cup Xfinity truck drivers that were in the car. Every now and then, there was no real continuity. There didn't really seem to be any rhyme or reason as to who was in the car when. The fact that now you've been in the car for every race this year, you've gotten a relationship with your team, with everybody on the 31 car, have you felt like that's been a boost to the whole team overall? Because it seems like when there's a driver that's able to stay with the team and with the car for a full season as opposed to this person here, this person there, Ah, we don't know who's going to be in it in three weeks. That can get a little hasty.
2: Yeah, exactly. When you're when you're dealing with a rotating seat of drivers, it it hurts the shop's ability to kind of, you know, start building things consistently and, you know, do things consistently. And, um, you know, when you you know, when I'm in the car uh, full time, it we've just been able to really kind of dial in things. And I feel like that's why I've gotten so good on like mile and a half road courses, because, you know, I feel like my strengths have been at the mile and a half in the road courses, um, you know, Throughout my career, and so it's um it's definitely been really really cool to see the the level to which they're willing to work with me and how much advancements we've made in the technology of these cars and all the things we've discovered along the way and it's just been it's really really good to work with this group.
0: So you mentioned road courses. Let's go back a couple of weeks to the Roval. I um I was there and I was watching on the monitors and I saw the 31 car, the 35 car, and the six all together on the front stretch going into turn one. And I thought to myself, wow, look at that. The boys are back together. That's awesome. And then I saw Harris Lou tweeted a picture of you guys all together. That had to be a pretty cool moment. Obviously you've raced with Ryan a ton and you've raced with Brad as well, but all three of you at that level in the same race on the same track at the same time in the same vicinity, you got to frame that picture and hang it up on the wall.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think we might have to get it printed off and hanging
0: up somewhere here in the house but um, it was it was definitely really
2: cool because you know obviously Ryan's had a a number of Xfinity starts and uh, Brad has been trying to make it to the to the national level for a while now and he's he's had really good success in getting there and so it was really cool to race with them Um, always fun to do it on road courses too and you know the was one of my favorite road courses that we go to so it it just made it all that much more fun yeah it looked
0: really cool Um, all right I want to go back a little bit now doing some research on you for this chat I did not realize that your first ever ARCA start back in 2016—it was with Cunningham Motorsports—you won the damn thing. I didn't know that you came out the gate guns a-blazing and went to victory lane. At that point, you're probably like, "Oh man, this stuff's easy. I'm gonna be in Cup in no time. I got this in the bag."
2: Unfortunately, that is true. The the <laughs> latter part of that is the the cockiness. I thought I, you know, man, I had it, I thought I had it figured out because um, I. Um, not only did that, but the very next week we went and tested at Michigan because I think we were the whole series got a test uh, at that time. And um, I think I was either first or second fastest. Um, and that was, you know, so I was Chase Briscoe was my teammate at the time. And he our times were like this far apart from each other. And I also beat Alex Bowman because he came there to kind of help us out to get acclimated. And we both beat him on time. And so I was like, man. I, I how it's not actually as hard as I thought it would be. And so um, I did get humbled later on. But uh, yes, I did actually win. Um, later, or not later, I won my first ARCA start. Um, it actually it actually is a funny story about how that all happened, because I went there. And we tested prior to going there, that was going to be my first ARCA start and all that, obviously. And so um, I they didn't want you know, my first laps being be in practice, wanted to give me a little more time to acclimate and all that. And so I kind of struggled in that test and then I struggled in practice and then I got, get there to qualifying and I kind of just sent it in there and ended up qualifying third. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm starting to do a little better and uh just kind of bided my time in the race, ran third most of the time and kind of let things happen and then managed to get in, um, beat, uh, chase out on, on pit strategy. And then I got a much better restart than he did rolling on top side. And so, Ended up leading the last, I think, fifty-five some laps, and uh, the rest was history. So it was really cool because, you know, I, uh, I kind of had some doubts about myself going into that, and so that kind of helped me to build some of that confidence I needed to make make better uh, moves and run the race car better. And so that was it was really cool, really cool moment for me.
0: Six years ago, and you can recall every vivid detail like that. You race car drivers are a different breed, I tell you. My God. Um, moving on now, I want to talk about the Truck Series. You obviously spent extensive time there. KBM had some starts there. Thor Sport as well. Those two organizations specifically, they have a ton of story to them. Championships, perennial race winners, right? What was your time like running for those two teams, whether it was Kyle Busch as a boss, Duke and Ronda as a boss? Again, I'm sure that those two specific places had two different management styles, but Again, running for two behemoth organizations like that with a lot of employees and perennial race-winning speed, that had to be a stiff jump for you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the tougher parts was being part-time with KBM. I only had, I think, eight starts for them. And uh, my first two races was Daytona, so February, and then the first Texas race of the schedule, which was June. So I had about four months to just kind of watch all the races go on and... Um, and be out of the seat. So that kind of made it a little tough to kind of apply anything that I, you know, may have learned about, you know, procedural stuff uh, from Daytona to Texas. Um, but uh, it definitely, the season at KBM taught me a lot. It taught me, you know, what the the grip level of trucks is like, you know, what to do, what not to do. And uh, frankly, what a trimmed out race truck felt like. And so I was able to take that knowledge to Thor sport. Um, and that's kind of where I really thrived was because I, I was able to run the full season. I was able to really learn a lot and just kind of get it, get it down doing it, you know, week in and week out. And um, I that's kind of what springboarded my career was that that season at Kate at, at uh, ThorSport. And so um, I, had, I had a lot of fun. I learned a lot and it was really cool, honestly, getting to see the whole Sandusky, Ohio area and working with Duke and Rhonda and uh, Rich Lucius, who's now won a championship with Ben. Yep. So um, it's uh, it's really cool really cool to see not only the success of Rich after he moved on, um, but, you know, to see all that I've been able to do learning from what I did uh, in Xfinity.
0: Yeah. Won the rookie of the year that year. I remember you getting on the podium in the media center and talking about that. So that was obviously a huge, huge moment. I assume at that point you were probably still living around the Charlotte, North Carolina area and you were kind of going to Sandusky whenever you could. That's obviously not necessarily that close. Um, How often did you get up there? to Sandusky because it's, it's not just down the road, like Jordan Anderson racing is
2: right. Um, uh, probably about once or twice a month, at least, uh, if not, you know, a couple of times a month. And if, if we were ever racing up, um, you know, somewhere up North, I would kind of, you know, ride with them. I think I rode with them to, uh, Canadian tire at, at most sport. Um, and a couple other places I rode with them to Iowa. Um, and yeah, so I would just try and figure out ways that I could spend time up there, learn more, figure out, you know, what's changing with the setup, you know, mm-hmm. what, uh, what we're figuring out and all that. And so I think that's why I learned so much is because I was able to spend a lot of time up there.
0: Kyle Busch, obviously a huge owner, wins championships, Duke and Rhonda Thorson. they have done the same thing. You worked with Rich. He's won a championship. Now you also spent some time with the NASCAR hall of famer in the form of Richard Childress in the Xfinity series. I'm curious what your interactions were like with him when you were driving for him and what he was like as a boss.
2: Yeah. Richard is uh he's, he's a really, really cool dude. He's got a lot of history, obviously. And so I think that was one of my favorite parts about racing with RCR was just really kind of learning about all the history and, you know, seeing, you know, what, what things Richard could teach me and all that. And, and so he was, he was a really good dude to work for. And, um, he's a, he can be a little bit hard nosed sometimes because, you know, he wants his race car drivers to win and succeed and all that. And so, um, you know, I, my first couple of races with RCR, I, I, kind of struggled with, um, you know, just figuring out what the race car could do and the differences between the truck and Xfinity car. But uh, sure. eventually, eventually I figured it out. And, um, I think it was only my, um, maybe 10th or 12th start at Homestead with RCR. Yeah, really. Um, that, um, that was when I went Homestead. So it was really cool to, you know, Especially after, you know, the struggles I kind of went through after I left Thor Sport um, and kind of figuring out, you know, where to go racing-wise. It was really cool to see, uh, help see me get to that point of success um, as early as
0: I did. Yeah. And even looking back on that Homestead day, too, now knowing what we know about Tyler Reddick, two-time back-to-back Xfinity champ, obviously won three times already this year, going to twenty three eleven next year. You held him off in overtime to get that win, too, which at Homestead of all places, I feel like that win is going to age pretty well, knowing who you beat to get it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that was one of the cooler parts is that I held up the, you know, the King homestead and uh, plenty of other guys who I've, you know, looked up to for a really long time, like Austin Cindrick. And so it was, it was really cool to race with some of the guys that, you know, I've raced with either growing up or I've looked up to for a while. And um, definitely gave me a lot of confidence that I needed to go
0: uh, compete. I know we've talked about your time in Europe racing in the uh, wheel and Euro series before. I want to just touch on that briefly again. I'm curious now, you know, a handful of years removed from that, you've kind of made your roots back in the Xfinity series, established yourself as a race winner and you've been in the playoffs already. And now you're helping an up and coming team kind of get their sea legs under them. How do you reflect on all of that back in Europe? The, the fact that you were over there running a full season different cars, different countries, different type of everything that comes along with racing in the Euro Series. How do you reflect on all that all this time later?
2: You know, I um, I, I think the biggest thing that it helped me to do as a race car driver um, was to really help to refine my skills as a road course racer because I always felt like I was a a pretty decent road course race. with You know, I, my first win in a legends car was on a road course. Um, I always felt like I had speed at road courses. Um, but it really helped me to kind of refine and perfect some of the skills that, you know, may have been lacking. And, um, I think it actually helped me just become a better race car driver in general, because, um, after, you know, I had done about half a season of that, I got a call from Duke to sub for Johnny because he had gotten suspended for a week for an incident Mm -hmm. in Iowa. And I, you know, I, I led about led some laps and I was probably the fastest truck on the racetrack at gateway. We just uh, missed it a little bit on strategy that night. And so we ended up uh, finishing 10th, but we were probably one of the fastest trucks out there that night. And so I felt like I was capable of winning and that was just because I was able to apply some of those skills. And so I felt like it made me a better race car driver, maybe a better road course racer. And it kind of taught me to calm down a little bit because I was a little upset about, you know, you know, the fortunes that I had, the hand I hadn't been dealt that year, because I felt like, you know, I had been, I proved myself, capable of racing in the truck series and I should be there full time and all that. And so, um, it kind of taught me, you know, Hey, you know, life's not all that bad. I'm getting to drive race cars. So, um, that was a, that was a little bit of a humbling moment and, uh, it, uh, taught me a little bit of patience, I should say.
0: Yeah. I hear you on that. Logistics wise, you're racing in Europe. Pretty much the whole season, but the races are spread out a good amount. It's not every week like it is in the States. Were you living in the US and commuting back and forth? Did you ever stay in Europe for a handful of weeks at a time? What was that like?
2: Uh, the only time I did uh stay over for a NASCAR Euro race was I think it was um after the Italy race. So that was the second round of our season and Um, the team had a simulator at the race shop. And so that was actually really cool because it was a retired formula two chassis that they had. And so I was like, wow, this is pretty cool to sit in. Um, and fun fact, the team that I drove for actually was the team that Sebastian Vettel drove for in formula two. And so it very well could have been a chassis that he drove. Um, so that was, that was really cool. Um, I did stay over. I didn't stay over for another race because I think there was probably, three or four weeks in between each race. And so there's plenty of time to kind of go back and get settled at home and all that. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was really cool because they're, you know, the, the culture of European racing is vastly different. You know, they're, they're much more relaxed about stuff and you know, it's, um, so it was kind of cool to see the differences in all that.
0: I saw that there was a, um, video circulating recently about, a stock car taking laps at an oval track in the netherlands i think it was called venray is that right that's correct right and you made laps on that track in the wet actually and i know there's been reports about nascar using wet weather tires at some road courses on ovals next year um so you've kind of been ahead of the curve with that and at that racetrack specifically i think that i would probably count you in in terms of bringing an oval race overseas to the netherlands that would probably be one of the tracks you'd like to go on i assume
2: Yes, absolutely, um, and that's probably the best oval that we could possibly go to, just because it's got, you know, all the facilities necessary. It's got all the grandstands necessary. It's the right size. Um, and all it needs really is safer barriers. So I think yeah. it would make for great racing. It's a half mile progressively banked oval, and so I think it would produce a lot of great racing. And as far as you know, racing in the rain goes, I feel like there is still some progress to be made, but it is definitely possible, and I think it would make for some great racing action.
0: Can't disagree with anything there. All right. Uh, let's go back again to the start of the year. You start off the season with the bang, literally. Uh, again, an incredible, harrowingly scary moment. Daytona on the backstretch. I want your perspective as you come off of turn two. You're trying to set yourself up to get into the top five and maybe even make a run at the win. What the heck happens next?
2: Well, it was a little bit odd because, um, you know, I I felt like we were top five fast all day. Like, I... You know, I, didn't, I didn't always mix it up in the top five, but I felt like we had that level of speed because we actually had an issue in qualifying, and um, that put us starting like 32nd or something. And so I, uh, I noticed that Sam Mayer was around me, and so was Jeremy Clements, and those are two guys that I respect in, this, in the series. And so I was like, hey, guys, I'm going to the front. I don't care how. I'm making weight. If you guys want to join me, cool. If not, see you later. And so literally, <laughs> uh, I think lap two, I went to the high side um, around the guy on the outside, and. I passed him and uh, another car, and then I think the 51 jumped with me, and then the one, he kind of hesitated a little bit, and then eventually he joined back up with us, but basically, I did that little choo-choo train around the top for about seven laps in a row, and went from 32nd to about, uh, I think, the third row, uh, so about sixth or seventh, <laughs> and so I was like, well, that worked pretty well, and um, that set us up to be kind of in contention for the rest of the race, and so we were kind of in the mix of things. And, you know, my philosophy at Super Speedways is to always kind of be closer to the front because you avoid some of the nonsense that happens in the middle or the back. Um, But yeah, you know, it it came down to it. I think I was about fifth row in the middle coming to the white flag. And I have this huge run. I'm trying to go the two kind of half jumps up into my lane. And I'm like, all right, buddy, you got to pick which lane you're going to go into. And he kind of still half picked. And finally he just committed to it and got up in front of me. And so I'm pushing him and pushing him. And then, he jumps low, and I try and follow him, and then the 23 is behind me, and he gives me this huge shove as I'm turning, and that kind of gets me sideways, so I'm, like, trying to correct it, and then he gives me a shove again, and so all that does is just shove all that force in the front tires and spins me around the other way, and so spun me out, got me in front of a, the two cars on the outside, and then they had a head of steam, and then everybody saw what happened next, so, but, uh, yeah, uh, very thankful that I came out of that okay with, you know, hardly any injuries, and uh, I think somebody was looking out for me that day.
0: Yeah. Agreed. I, every time I watch that wreck, I'm just amazed that you walked away basically unscathed from it. And I, I also was listening to a different interview you did and I had to kind of laugh now knowing the result, but what you said was, yeah, I, I was spinning and then all of a sudden things slowed down and I saw the roofs of the cars and I said, well, that can't be good.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you, when you notice that you're going up off the racetrack, it's, uh, it's never a good sign of anything. Not great. Coming, so, yeah. No. So I was like, well, I'm going to just kind of clench up here and see what happens next. And so thankfully, yeah. I was okay.
0: I mean, it goes without saying, that has to be the gnarliest wreck you've ever been in, right, by far? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Uh, how long did it take you to to heal from the bruises and the the injuries that you had? It wasn't bad by any means, but obviously you weren't 100% right after.
2: I think um, one of my toes got a little... Uh, stretched out too much. And so it uh, was, it took a while for that to recover. Um, but uh, other than that, really all I had was just a few bruises here and there. Man. And uh, that was it. So it's kind of crazy that I ended up okay from all that.
0: Yeah. Incredible. All right. Um, you ready for some fun stuff before we get back to the important things? Oh, boy. Yes. <laughs> Buckle up, Buttercup. All right. Um, what is up with math? Like, why do you like math so much? I feel like that's a red flag.
2: Uh, well, Listen, don't, don't judge a book by its cover, pal. Um, all right. no, 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 I've, for some reason, ever since I was a kid, I've enjoyed doing math. It kind of just made sense to me. And, um, so I've enjoyed, the thing is, is that like, I don't really enjoy like memorizing a whole bunch of stuff. And so in school, I always succeeded the most with math and thought it was the easiest because I was just, you know, all right, this works with this and this plays with this, and I can kind of see how it all plays together. And so that always came easier to me than just trying to memorize a whole bunch of text and mm. So that's why I've enjoyed it, and that's why I've tried to major with it in college.
0: Where were you in my middle school years when I needed a math tutor? Because it's the worst subject that I've ever had.
2: Well, when we get a time machine, we'll figure that out.
0: All right, thank you. Uh, you do know that, like, liking math basically means you're like already a nerd, right?
2: Yes, I've known that for a long time.
0: All right. So, like, I mean, but like, even when math has letters in it, that still is exciting to you, for real? Yeah.
2: Yeah, dude, it's 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 not that hard. It's when you get the big giant symbols that's when it starts getting tough. Yeah, sure. Whatever you say.
0: All right. Um, how about uh, tax Slayer? Is it really as easy as they say it is?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they uh, the whole thing that they want to do is they want to make it easy for you know people who are doing their taxes for the first time and maybe a little intimidated by it. You know, I mean, you gotta there's the yeah right. So the I mean the U.S. tax the the laws on taxes, right? The document's eighteen thousand pages long. he has got time to read that? So not me. they they help you out. They they help you to figure it out and they make it really easy and it shows. I mean they're they have the highest retention rate probably out of any tax service out there. So it's uh it goes to show that they, they know what they're doing.
0: No tax fraud for Myatt Snyder. It's not possible.
2: No, no it is not
0: based. All right, good to hear. Um, have you gone on your website recently, Myatt com?
2: Uh I would prefer if we did not talk about that because it's been a <laughs> bit of a sore subject.
0: All right, fine, fair enough. Let's just say it. Uh, it could use a little revamp. I'll leave it at that. I think a you bit. would agree. A okay. Bit. A little bit. Um, you spotted for Daniel Kvyat this year, and I don't think that you like publicized it at all. But I was listening to the radio, and I texted Veronica, and I was like, "Hey, weird question, but is Myat spotting for the twenty six by chance?" And she was like, "Actually, yes, he is, because I heard you." I heard your vernacular cause I know you like F1 and obviously he has an F1 background. So when he was trying to pit, instead of saying Daniel pit, you said box box. And I was like, all right, that's different. I like that. How did, how did that come together to spot for a former F1 driver and somebody who's making their first couple starts in NASCAR?
2: Well, it was extremely last minute because I was hanging out at Indianapolis for the cup race to kind of watch and observe and see what people did different. And, um, You know, I'm always trying to learn as a race car driver. And so, um, you know, the one season that I drove a split schedule with RCR and uh, RSS Racing, uh, Josh Rayom actually kind of took up all the the duties of running the team day to day. And so I actually formed a relationship with him and I keep up with him and all that. And so they actually needed a spotter um, to really run the race properly. Um, And so uh, they were like, can you do it? And I'm like, well you know, I'll think about it. You know, um, I got some stuff I need to take care of first. And so um, uh, I'll let you guys, I'll let you guys know. And so they're like, okay. And uh, I think they didn't really convey to me how dire the situation actually was, because (laughs) uh, I didn't realize that they were pretty much at their wit's end of trying to find somebody. And so I'm, um, I'm walking back from where I was doing my work, trying to find somebody. And they're like, hey, get in. And I'm like, what? And they're like, get in. Here's your radio. I'm like, uh all right then and so <laughs> i i get up there and uh i'm just like well guess uh guess i'm doing this and Here so we go. uh it was probably about i don't know maybe 45 minutes before uh the race got started so driver intros were just starting to get rolling and uh i'm checking my radio and they're like hey yeah you're really faint we can't really hear you and i'm like okay cool uh good sign to start things yeah. um and so i i get uh get we get rolling for the race and they're like i can't the, he's like i can't hear the spotter over here and i'm like oh this is great and so like nobody could hear me at all and and this is like you know I'm, I'm supposed to be calling the restarts because i'm in i'm at the end of the track so i can see the front stretch i'm the only one who can see the front stretch so i'm like well i guess he's just gonna have to figure it out <laughs> so i actually start going down the line of spotters trying to see like hey does anybody have like you know a backup headset that i might be able to borrow and i finally get almost to the end of the line before drew herring is like here you go and i'm like you are a saint sir what i plug that in dude. i plug that in and it finally started working and they could hear me and so i'm like praise be and so i started spotting for him and that was that was basically it there was a whole bunch of other stuff and then of course danny drove through the fan area back to the garage um <laughs> when the car had some issue and so oh, it was a it's definitely a funny story that i can tell for the rest of my life
0: and that was your first time spotting
2: yeah and the, well not the first time spotting i actually have spotted on a road course in, in the cup series a couple times um and uh, funny enough i got to race with danny probably a couple months later when he uh made his xfinity debut with shr
0: that's right that's right who did you spot for in the cup race
2: um, I spotted for Matt Kenseth once at Watkins Glen, and he wow. ended up uh, finishing second that day. So that was like, I was like, wow, you pretty good.
0: It's all you. Yeah. Wow. Where were you spotting it that day? That was through the S's. Okay. It's an important section. Got to keep mm-hmm. up the momentum there, Mike. You mm-hmm. did well. hmm Well done. Um, all right. So you got, you got that on the deck. You're a spotter. You're a race car driver. I know that you're um, a football fan. You follow other sports as well. I don't really know why I was um, prompted to ask this question. Who are your favorite football teams, and why? Is there something behind this? The
2: key word, um, yeah, teams. Uh, I I have three favorite teams in every sport that I try and keep up with. um, Because it's a great philosophy to have. Because I can never not enjoy, uh, you know, the sport I'm watching. So I have every sport every sport I don't I don't like religiously keep up with them like I don't have jerseys and all that I just kind of watch them when I can and all that but really the only team that I religiously keep up with is is the Panthers um but uh yeah football Panthers uh Packers and Cardinals um Panthers obviously the home team uh Cardinals used to be the fun team but now they're kind of the winning team but they're not as good this year and the Packers were the winning team at one point but they're kind of just existing for now and so it's that's kind of the the philosophy there. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, that is my philosophy for watching sports.
0: Do your friends give you a bunch of crap for that, though? Because I also actually used to like three teams. I like the formerly known, well, Commanders now because D.C., the Ravens because I lived in Maryland, and the Dolphins because my dad was from Miami. But then my friends gave me crap because I couldn't root for three teams because that gave me a better shot at winning every single week. So then I ended up going to one, and I picked the worst one, and now I'm suffering. So I don't know. Do your friends give you crap it, for that? Cause they gave me
2: uh, maybe a little bit, but I just simply do not care. So I would, that's the advice I'd fair. give you simply just do not care because it's why not have fun.
0: All right. Fair. Um, what's <clears throat> up with you and Guinea pigs? Um, I don't,
2: uh, I just, that that's <laughs> Veronica's thing. I, uh, I let her have her Guinea pigs and I just help when I can, but she loves her Guinea pigs.
0: You seem like you're not a
2: fan i am not not a fan not no i they're they're cute (laughs) and adorable but they're just not my thing so i i let her enjoy them and i help when i can but uh yeah they're just
0: they're cute what have they like eaten your radio cord or something before did you have a bad experience no no not at all no
2: they uh they they have bitten me a few times so i don't know if that's like a bad sign or something but uh but that's that's really about it that's been my experience i've kind of held them and And uh, played with them to help Veronica out, but uh, that's about it.
0: Do they bite or do they nibble? Because they're small. They
2: can nibble if they're just playing, but sometimes they can bite if they're like in a mood or something like that.
0: What are are the names of Veronica's guinea pigs?
2: So one of them is um, Rocco, and the other one is Oreo, and you can kind of guess what they both look like. Yes, Um, I can. But – but Veronica has raised the uh, idea a few times calling them Tank and War Machine because they do cause such chaos.
0: Um, so right. I, I would say that's accurate. Rocco and Oreo have a bit of a different vibe than Tank and War Machine, but yeah. I think either would work. Um, how about chickens? You a fan of those?
2: Oh, dude, I, I love me some chickens. Let me tell you. Um, <laughs> I, I own chickens at this house for probably about two years. Uh, I actually just recently gave them to my sister because I she... Know. Um, she has home a lot more than I am and is able to take care of them a lot more than I am. And so she's actually really enjoyed, uh, having them at her house cause they kind of, uh, they fertilize the garden and all that stuff. And then they'll take care of the fire ant <laughs> problem that they have. And so she's been really enjoying them. And I've been getting a lot of pictures of seeing them vibe and thrive. So where were you keeping them
0: when you had them?
2: They were just in my backyard. Like I was,
0: I was full just on showing roaming around
2: doing their thing. <laughs> They had a they had a little coop they could go to and they only free roamed every now and then just because my area has a lot of uh, skunks and skunks will eat chickens because they have before so um, yeah so they uh, they do get to free roam they did get to free roam every now and then they love doing it they love kind of rummaging through stuff and finding finding seeds or bugs to eat and so it was really cool to watch them kind of do the thing
0: have you have you had any negative experiences with a skunk in any of your chickens I hope not. <laughs> uh maybe a few oh god all right moving on um no i'm not moving on so with the chickens like do you do you like use their eggs do you just have them just to have them around and it's fun like what was the purpose what is the purpose
2: oh yeah we use their eggs all the time veronica loves to bake and so i would give her plenty of eggs to cook and so whenever it became holiday season we'd we'd uh, kill about two dozen eggs and um, my neighbor who lives kind of, uh, on the other street behind me, uh, she's, uh, she's an elderly woman and she loves to make her the holiday time. So we would give eggs to her. There's also a soup kitchen just down the road. We would give, mm-hmm. I'd give them five, six, seven dozen eggs at a time wow. and they would really enjoy them. So, yeah.
0: You can a tell the difference between like fresh eggs and like store-bought, right? Absolutely. Especially
2: if their chickens are well taken care of, the yolks, nice and golden, and there, you mm. can tell that a
0: chicken had a good life when they, when the yolk's golden. Gotta make myself an omelet after this. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear you're also good at dancing. Elaborate, please.
2: Um, I don't know who told you that, but that's very I much. Think false, we both know. False information. I think I think that's very much false information. So. Do you just have no rhythm? Is that what it is? I wouldn't say no rhythm, but uh, <laughs> it's definitely not. It's definitely not. Uh, I would say it's arrhythmic. That's that's the best way to describe it.
0: It's a Good word. I feel like you watch enough TikTok though to be able to do some like groovy TikTok dances. Be an influencer? No, it's not your style.
2: I could maybe do
0: the gritty, but that's about it. You want to do it right now? Absolutely not. I, I will save so. that for a
2: special occasion.
0: What about, right, if you win a race? Will you gritty and victory lane or on the front stretch? Absolutely. Promise. Promise. You heard it here first. All right. I can't wait for that. Um, all right. Um, so these these things obviously have all come from your better half, Veronica. She is a Michigan State fan being from Michigan. I obviously am as well going to Michigan State University. Can we officially say that Myatt Snyder is a Michigan State University sports fan?
2: Uh, in name only. I am actually a Tar Heels fan with college sports. So. Oh, I
0: know. But, I mean... You gotta make happy wife happy life, you know?
2: Yeah, that's true. I can I can definitely get down with some Michigan State people. Yeah. Okay. I can. Okay,
0: thank you. Um, a couple more things. Halloween costume ideas. I hear that Veronica has something in the works and you don't know, you're not a big fan of it. What are you what are you cooking up for this year?
2: I don't know why she thinks I'm not a fan of it. I <laughs> she just I just happened to forget about what her idea was. And so I was confused when she brought it up one time and I was like, wait, what? And then she's like, why do you not like it? I'm like, I oh, that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. So I just, it was really more me forgetting, but uh, yes, we have very interesting Halloween costume idea. Uh, We're dressing up as old people and um, (laughs) something will be reversed. I'll just say that.
0: Good. I think that actually is very relatable. Like every boyfriend that's listening to this probably just forgot about something that they thought was inconsequential. And then kind of got reamed out or yelled at by their girlfriend or significant other for oh my god you forgot or how how could you and it's like well I thought this is inconsequential. So you're very relatable in that respect. Thank you for sharing that.
2: I literally forget everything I'm told on a daily basis. It's kinda We didn't forget
0: to join this meeting. You joined on time. That's true. That's true. So we're we're one and oh for the day. Um all right. Let's get back to some serious topics, quote unquote serious topics to uh to end this chat here next year. I know 2022 is coming to an end, the shortest off season in professional sports, because we got the longest regular season and playoffs, whatever. Where do you want to be for next year? What do you got cooking up for next year? Is there anything specific that you have your eye on or that you're set on doing?
2: I mean, I love the NASCAR Xfinity Series. I've really enjoyed the schedule. I've enjoyed the people that I've worked with in the Xfinity Series, and I've enjoyed the race cars. And so I would love to be back in the Xfinity series. So as far as, you know, what that looks like, I'm not exactly sure for next year. We're still kind of working on what that looks like, but uh, I feel pretty optimistic about, you know uh, what, what may come. So we'll see what happens. Um, You know, I, I feel pretty good that there's a plan that is going to play out and, you know, I'm leaving, not leaving it up to chance. Like I, I just, I just know that, you know, because of all the things that we've worked on that we've got a pretty good chance of, you know, doing something really good next year. And so that's about all I can give for now, unfortunately, but uh, I I do feel really good about next year's uh, prospects.
0: Do you have a timeline in terms of when you think you'll know or when you want to know, obviously sooner rather than later, but you know, the off season is short as we say.
2: I mean, if, if things were, if it was a perfect world, we'd be announcing, you know, kind of like last year, um you know just before the championship uh for or just after the championship four, kind of around that time zone. So hopefully by then we'll have something that we can announce. But uh you know that's uh we'll see what happens.
0: I know you're not gonna announce anything here. Have you have you talked with Jordan or J A R about anything for next year or have you guys not gotten there yet?
2: I think we've definitely had a lot of talks with um you know our sponsors and and Jordan and uh you know we're we're making ground on you know what we may do and what we may not do and so we'll see. I think, uh, like I said, I feel really optimistic about what may become
0: career trajectory wise. You're a rookie of the year in the truck series. You've run for race wins there. You've won a race in the Xfinity series. You've been over in Europe. You obviously want to stay here in Xfinity. As you said, do you want to get to the cup series sooner rather than later? Do you want to still try to make your roots here in Xfinity in terms of the next, you know, let's say three to five years, where do you envision yourself being and where do you want to be?
2: You know I always um, I, I realized one thing um, pretty early on in racing um, and that's if you know if I'm getting you know if I'm getting to be a competitive paid full-time race car driver then you know I really can't complain about you know you know where it may be or what series it may be and so um, so I feel like you know as long as I'm you know a full-time race car driver that's what I'm content with and so you know I' like I said I really like the Xfinity stuff if I do make its cup awesome. But if I, you know, if it's the truck series, if it's the Xfinity series, that's awesome too. Because, you know, I'm getting to be a race car driver and, you know, not many people can say that. And so I feel pretty content with that.
0: I want to ask a couple questions about your dad because he's obviously a legend. Like every time I see him on the screen, he's just an absolute wagon. This man works his ass off. I I mean, Vegas was like a perfect example of it. It's like he's anchoring the pre-race show. He takes off his tie. He does 400 miles on pit road. Swings his tie back on, anchors the post race show. He just, he doesn't stop. He's obviously had a hand in your racing career and developing you as well. But how much has he been able to help? Like, it's one thing to be like, all right, here's this person. You can talk to him. It's another thing to be by your side every step of the way. How much has he helped and did he help you to get to where you are right now?
2: I'll put it to you this way I don't think I would have a racing career without him because he's been so pivotal and you know, the advice he's been able to give me on not only how to handle myself in front of a camera, but also, you know, from a business side. And so, um, he's been very pivotal in helping me to be able to focus on my racing stuff and, you know, helping me with sponsor stuff. And so it's been, like I said, he, I really wouldn't have a racing career without him. And so I'm, I'm, you know, eternally thankful for all that he's done for me and, all of the advice he's been able to offer me in this sport. And so it's, uh, it definitely has helped me to get much further than, you know, even I ever thought I could make it.
0: What's your guys' interaction like when you're at the track? Obviously you're there to do a job, he's there to do a job, but I'm sure you do a little bit more than saying, Hey, see you later in passing. I mean, like what's that interaction like when you're at the track?
2: Yeah. I mean, we'll discuss, you know, the goings on of the sport. We'll discuss, you know, what he's noticing, what I'm noticing, you know, uh, things that are happening and, um, you know what he's what he sees that I could be doing better, and you know he's seen you know he's been in the sport for oh yeah almost thirty years now, and so it's uh he's been able to you know give me advice that you know even I wouldn't think of, and so it's it's been good to have that kind of interaction at the track.
0: I want to end with your best dad joke. I know you may not have one right on the top of your head, so this is me vamping for a little bit, so you can get one at the forefront of your mind, so we can end with your best dad joke, because I know you are a big, big fan of them. I feel like you're looking up at your phone right now. You're trying to find one in your saved notes app. Am I right? Of course. Okay. Of course. I'm going to keep vamping well. here. You know, my loves his dad <laughs> jokes because as we just said, he has a dad in the sport. He's been very pivotal in Myatt's development. And I believe Maya may have a dad joke now. Maya, care to share?
2: Someone challenged me to think of two structures that could contain water. And I said, well damn. That's a really good. Point. See you later, ladies and gents.
0: <laughs> and we are back. Oh man, what a guy. So much ground that we covered there. I thank him for staying on with me that long. We went a little bit over the allotted time that we had, but I asked Myatt, you're good to keep going? He said, yep, we were vibing, so enjoyed that chat with him. And obviously looking forward to seeing what he can do this weekend at Martinsville for the season finale at Phoenix and what he has cooking up in store for 2023. Hopefully we'll figure that news out soon. And Myatt will be doing some good things next year, whether that be in the Xfinity Series with Jordan Anderson Racing or elsewhere, we will all be watching. So my thank you, brother, for the time. Really appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing you this weekend at the paperclip and catching up soon. Time to chit chat for a bit about Homestead Miami Speedway. Now, listen, I am on record. I love Homestead. One of, if not my favorite racetracks on the schedule, definitely my favorite mile and a half. But I got to say, this past Sunday's race, it wasn't anything spectacular. It wasn't a barn burner. It wasn't anything that I'm going to write in the history books and say, wow, you got to remember this 2022 Homestead race, because frankly, it it just wasn't amazing. I mean, it was good. I, I really enjoyed the race. I think part of the reason why I'm feeling this way is because everybody loves Homestead. I feel like it's a universally beloved racetrack, and that's hard to find in the NASCAR world nowadays. So people put a lot of expectations on this racetrack and on this race, especially when you look at the history of the next-gen car on mile-and-a-half tracks this year. You figured this is going to be perfect. Bread and butter, mile-and-a-half track, high tire fall-off, high tire wear, multiple grooves, rip in the top. This is going to be great. And it was good. It was. I'm just saying that it wasn't necessarily the best race that we've seen this year. Another big portion of that feeling for me and for some other fans probably is because Kyle Larson opened up a huge can of whoop-ass on the field. I mean, that man took him to the woodshed. He was on another level, led almost 200 of the 267 laps, finally gets off the Schneide in South Beach. He's been so good there for so many years, so many races, ripping the top, and whether he takes himself out by hitting the wall – He chooses to kind of lay back a bit and let the championship four decide things amongst themselves. That was not a problem this time because it's obviously not the championship finale. He had the best car, and I saw actually a stat this week. uh, Forgive me for not remembering who did it on Twitter, but if the race stayed green for essentially the entire race, which, let's be real, is impossible, Kyle Larson would have essentially won the race by over two laps. I mean, it's laughable how much faster he was than the entire field. And I think also this needs to be commended, even though it's kind of been beaten into the ground. The fact that this dude is ripping the top for 267 laps, give or take a few under caution and maybe working through lap traffic, and he's not by the wall. He's on the wall. Like, he is literally inches from the wall. We're not talking a couple feet or a few inches A couple inches at best. I mean, these pictures that we've seen, the videos, the onboard cameras, it's nuts. And he's not the only one doing it. He just seems to be the one that's the best at it. And that needs to be commended no matter how many times you've heard it this week. If you're tired of seeing the videos, if you're tired of people talking about it, every time we go to Homestead, we are going to talk about this because what Kyle Larson is able to do at that racetrack in a race car should absolutely be celebrated and commended and His third win of the season, he opened up a can of whoop-ass, like I said. And even though he's not eligible as a driver to make the championship four, his race team in the owner's championship, they remain eligible, even though he got eliminated after the Roval. The five team is still in it. With this win, they now vault themselves into the championship four for the owner's championship in Phoenix, which is significant because that's where the money is. That's where the charter payouts happen That's where all the big bucks get made. So I know it may not be the sexy storyline to follow for you guys, but it's something that is significant and is worth monitoring and watching. And who knows, maybe they could bring it home without even being in the top four for the championship as their driver, Kyle Larson, considering he won the race at Phoenix last year. I would say he's got a pretty good shot. Before we head for the exits this week, let's chit-chat a little bit about Martinsville Speedway. I don't know what to think about this one, guys. I am very optimistic that the racing will be better than it was in the spring, only for the fact that it can't really get much worse. I mean, sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but from all accounts that we've seen from the tests that happened there a few months ago, drivers, spotters, crew chiefs, industry people, they said that essentially all that was achieved was making the cars closer in speed. Which already was the case, and if everybody's going the same speed, how are people going to pass each other? I, I, I mean, the answer is you root and gouge people out of the way, but then that you know opens up a can of worms in terms of oh well, was that blatant? Oh, should you get suspended for that? Is that retaliation? I don't know, and it's just going to be a lot to follow. But I will say, there's way more on the line obviously this week than there was in the spring, given that it's the cutoff race to go into the championship four. I think this weekend's qualifying session is going to be the most important of the year by far because we know how hard passing is going to be and we know how important stage points have been and will continue to be. Joey Logano's sitting pretty, right? He's the only one that's locked in. Ross Chastain's up 19 points to the cut. Chase Elliott plus 11. William Byron is plus five. He obviously won this race in the spring, finished second in both stages. That's two points away from a max points day. If he can do anything similar to that, he's going to be sitting in pretty good shape. Denny Hamlin, who's obviously a Martinsville master of himself, he's five below the cut. Ryan Blaney is minus 18, but he finished top five in the spring. And Then you got Seabell, minus 33, and Chase Briscoe, minus 44, who are both in virtual must-win scenarios. Let me give you a hypothetical scenario as well. Chase Elliott, plus 11 on the cut line, right? Let's say Ryan Blaney or Denny Hamlin put themselves in position to qualify well and they gain stage points in the opening two frames. Let's say Chase Elliott, unfortunately for him, Myers himself mid-pack and doesn't qualify well, is not able to gain any stage points. Hypothetically, Ryan Blaney wins both stages, right? That's 20 points that he gets to Chase Elliott's Zero, he would vault himself depending on what Denny and Byron do either above the cut line or right at the cut line. A virtual lock, probably with Chase Elliott. So, this points battle can literally flip on a dime and it can flip on its head real fast. That's why I think qualifying is going to be very, very important. Where you start does not determine where you finish, but it sure does help, especially at this racetrack. So keep an eye out on qualifying earlier this weekend before the race. And obviously, you can catch all the action on Sunday. Green flag scheduled to fly just past 2 p.m. NBC's got your coverage. So does MRN Radio, and so does Sirius XM NASCAR Radio, Channel 90. Going to be a good one, people. And I'm going out there, so if you're going to be on the grounds in Martinsville, please tweet me, call me. Beat me. Text me. You know how to reach me. Looking forward to seeing some of you guys out there. That'll wrap things up for episode 167 of Victory Lane 2.0. If you like what you heard here today, please do me a favor. You can leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to the podcast. We are available wherever you get your shows. Apple, that green app, SoundCloud, wherever you get them. I'm telling you, we should be there for you. And if we're not, drop me a line. I will try to rectify that for you. Again, thank you to Myatt Snyder for joining me this week. Thanks to you for giving me your time and tuning in this week. Keep it locked on my Twitter account at Davey Center, I'll be bringing you coverage all weekend long from the paperclip, as well as Channel 90 on Sirius XM. That's your home for NASCAR for a reason, party people. We will be back next week with an episode 168. We will be back next week with episode 168, recapping Martinsville, previewing Phoenix, and another guest from the world of NASCAR. Who will it be? You'll find out, as will I. (laughs) We'll find out together. See you next week, party people. Enjoy Martinsville. Be good.